What's up? This is All Up In Your Biz and I'm Yvonne Trakian. This season, I'm talking to doers, believers, and most importantly, manifestors. They have launched products, built communities, and above all, believed in themselves and believed that anything is possible. So listen up and you never know, you too might start manifesting your dream life. We are ready. Colin, I'm about to get all up in your biz. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, I want. Thanks oh, for having Colin, me. I'm so excited to talk to you. So first, I want to tell the listeners all about you going back because this story really starts at birth. So tell us about you, uh, your disability. Give us the info that you have. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I was born with one arm and no legs. Uh, I was the first one born in Ireland with my condition. Uh, which obviously was a massive shock to my parents and the doctors. And uh, so your mom didn't know when my she mom was and dad pregnant. Had no, no idea that, that when they were pregnant that uh, it never came up on any scan. My mom's a nurse, so she was wow, very. Wow! It never came up on a scan. No, no. Wow! She would have taken all like necessary precautions, but they had absolutely no idea. And it was her first child. Obviously, I have a younger brother, uh, Niall, but uh, they had absolutely no idea. And, you know, the doctors never, Irish doctors especially, they'd never seen anything like this. And, you know, I think they, they tell my parents that I was severely handicapped, you know, that I'd need full-time care my entire life, which obviously isn't true. Um, and, you know, I think it's just an example of how we should never let others dictate our futures because, you know, I'm so grateful to my mum and dad that, and it was so difficult for them, you know, back then. I can't even really imagine what it was like. You know, they didn't have... Uh, anybody else to look up you know to look up to to see you know what's the best way to rear a child like this because you know the world obviously isn't set up for someone with one arm and no legs and you know I think my mum realized that very early on and you know she realized that I was going to need to be independent in some way and you know she never let my disability stop me and you know I, I think a, a good example of some, something that I always tell people about like you know, I went to an able-bodied school. I went to St. Michael's College, which, you know, that was kind of a controversial thing, I suppose, for my mum to send me to a school like that uh, because of my disability. Um, it it's, was an kind of, boys it's an all-boys school. It's an all-boys school. It's a rugby very school. Very rugby-focused. Rug, very rugby-focused. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of... Obviously, my mum knew that I, uh, there was nothing wrong with my head and, you know, she felt that there was no reason why I couldn't, you know, perform well academically. And I actually went to school really young. I was one of the youngest in my class, so I was four. So that was another thing that uh, was very, very sort of unusual at the time. But, you know, my mum, uh, she used to leave my shirt and tie out on the bed every morning. Uh, you know, even though she knew there wasn't a chance in hell that I could put it on myself. Uh, but by the age of eight, I was finally able to dress myself. And, you know, that's, I suppose she made me exercise that muscle of... Um, trying something, failing at it and trying again because she knew that, you know, things were going to get a lot more complicated for me very quickly and that, you know, the obstacles were going to be far greater, you know, in my teenage years, which that was probably the, the hardest time that I had dealing with my disability. But, you know, I suppose I was as well prepared for that as I ever could have been because from a young age, you know, she didn't wrap me in cotton wool. Like she knew that, you know, things were going to be tough and I was going to have to find out my own way to do things and you know I'm just very grateful for the way that they uh, reared me which 
Yeah, because it's like as a mom and I've got four kids yeah. and I have two two small babies, twins that I was, you know, giving them their bottles this morning. And there was a lot of things like the day I contacted you, I went into a small little coffee shop and my buggy got stuck. It's a double buggy side by side. And I thought of you and I was like, are the doorways big enough in some places? And the two twins are just starting to hold their bottles now. And I just wondered as a as a parent, your mom just, she, she just seems like such an amazing person to have, to have made you. The key thing that she did that I can think of is just made you so independent and competent. And we should be doing that with our kids anyway. But like, we want to, we want things to move fast, but get my son's clothes on, put them on, put on you can't, and they, they might want to do it themselves, but you're just like, come on, come on, we have to go, we have to yeah, go. Yeah, that, that's a, an, another thing because, you know, I, I think that there was boys that are able-bodied that could nearly do less than me, you know, by the time I was seven or eight, I was actually nearly doing more than a lot of the people in my class, which is absolutely incredible, you know, to think that I never would have thought that. I think a lot of the things that hold us back is in our mind, isn't it? And it's not really the physical, like, because if you looked at me, you would say, you know, how can I even do what others can do? And, you know, I've, that's, I think, why I, I've achieved, you know, things that people never or even that I thought would be possible. And, you know, I think it all started really back then, you know? Yeah, it's just, it's actually amazing. It really is. So when did you, when, like your earliest memories, like when did you, did you have, was there any point at which you realized that that you had a disability, that you were a little bit different? Was there any one moment or t- moment in time or, yeah, and I think that's the, that was the next thing that I was going to say. Like, I think, obviously, my younger years, like the primary school, things are a lot simpler back then. You don't really notice that you're different. I was kind of progressing quite well, like, in comparison to my classmates. You know, I was obviously well able for the academics. And uh, I think that all changed, though, in the when I went into the senior school in St. Michael's. Like, it was a much, obviously, it went from 30, there was only 30 students in the primary school in Michael's, and then it went to 100. And, you know, all my friends started playing uh, rugby, going to parties, drinking beer, kissing girls like they're around the age of 13 or 14. And I think at that point I was just left left in the lurch, like completely behind. And I didn't really know what to do anymore. You know, I didn't have a sport at that stage. Like I realized very quickly that I needed one. Um, you know, I obviously I didn't really have the confidence to, you know, speak to girls back then. I was still really self-conscious of my disability especially when I realized that I was different and I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't play rugby. I couldn't, you know, like accessibility, like what you were saying a few minutes ago. There was a lot of things that I just couldn't do because, you know, the world wasn't set up for me. And, you know, I remember being 12, 13, been very angry at God at that stage. And, you know, I used to ask him, why me? So in a population of 8 billion, why, why did I have to be born with one arm and no legs? You know, I was the only one in my year with a physical condition you know, I think it was back, it was at that point then, and obviously you become a teenage boy, the only thing that you want is to fit in. And I was obviously the furthest thing from that. You know, I wasn't a rugby player and I wasn't going to parties and, you know, I wasn't really, I suppose at that point as well, I started to find the academics quite difficult. And, you know, I used, I suppose that everything else in my life kind of prevented me from uh, from performing well academically. And that's why I always say that, the success that I've achieved in table NS has, you know, translated into other areas in my life because 
when I did discover table tennis and you know it was really hard even discovering a sport that suited me so well and like it was the first time in my life that I had a, a passion and a drive and something that made me realize that you know for all the things that I couldn't do there, there was a lot that I could do and table tennis really taught me that you know it was a sport that despite all my limitations I could kind of play you know despite all the limitations I could, I could become a very good player and I saw that you know, my, I was I'm not going to say it was easy uh, starting off being a table tennis player how did you find table t- were you looking thinking okay what is the sport that I can play or were your parents involved in yeah that, or? yeah well I think you know my mom and dad kind of gave me that freedom you know to try and find like they obviously supported me massively they would have brought me to a lot of different summer camps which is where I would have uh, tried out different sports so like I would have been involved in IWA Irish Wheelchair Association and UCD back then um, and the, f- the first sport I tried, of course, was wheelchair rugby because <laughs> I wanted to be like the like the lads. Um, and I loved wheelchair rugby. Like it was kind of it was at that point that I realized that I needed a sport, you know, because it did give me a little bit of confidence and a bit of enjoyment and something to look forward to. And but I think, uh, you know, even though I loved wheelchair rugby, I was a very competitive person by nature. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't a very good wheelchair rugby player. You know, my disability, it didn't really uh, lend itself well to, you know, moving really fast in a wheelchair, bouncing the ball was very difficult. And, you know, I suppose then when I tried a few other sports, I tried snooker and I was all right at that. But table tennis, uh, it was the only sport that I could beat my brother at. (laughs) So I think I decided to stick with it, you know, and my brother's uh, able-bodied, so, you know, he's not in a wheelchair or anything like that. And uh, just the fact that I could kind of use my head and uh, play in a different way in table tennis. I play quite close to the table and I'm obviously left-handed, uh, which is a big advantage in table tennis. Yeah. Uh, only, I think, 7 or 8% of the population are left-handed. So that's an enormous advantage. And, you know, despite all the disadvantages that I had, that was a big advantage being left-handed because there wasn't that many table tennis players in Ireland at that stage. And just the fact that I was left-handed kind of gave me a bit of an advantage. I always favoured the backhand and I kind of got away with not having a good forehand in my early days. And I think it was, you know, that combined with just the table tennis is such a complicated sport. There's so many different aspects to it. There's so many different ways of playing. It's not like swimming, which is another sport that I love. I still swim swim a lot. Like swimming is a lot more, <laughs> you swim from this end of the pool to the other. Obviously, technique comes into it. But, you know, there's not really so much strategy or tactics involved. There's not really different styles of swimming. There's not different rackets. And there's different rubbers and table tennis. There's so many different different ways that you can compete. And I think that... That was my advantage yeah. in the beginning and even now. And it's amazing because I sent you on a, a clip on Instagram of one of like the leading brain doctors. He scanned 250,000 brains and he says, if you can get your kids to play anything, get them to play a racket sport because it is just so powerful for your brain because there's so much strategy. On, it's, it? so- it's like chess played at a thousand miles an hour. Like you just have to think so quickly. Yeah. So uh, did you, did you, so you, you were saying that you kind of had, you know, you asked God, like, why me? And then you had a sibling who's able-bodied, didn't have, you know, um, a disability. So did you ever just look at him and be like, God damn it. Like, why yeah. can't I do these things? Or did your, did your parents treat you the same? They like, did treat us the same. And that's funny. I never really, uh, I never noticed it so much at home with my brother, because I think, 
you know, my brother and I, we had a very good relationship and he obviously <laughs> didn't treat me any differently. Yeah. But um, I suppose in the beginning and kind of a lot of the way through school, like the students would have treated me differently, like and the teachers would have treated me differently. And, you know, I think I probably avoided it. Uh, I was never bullied in school. Um, but I nearly felt not that I wanted to be bullied, but you know, the way you kind of feel like you're not even part of it. Like the people can't even say a joke to you because they're, they're worried afraid about that they're going to offend you, you know, and it's not like that anymore with me and my friends because they know me a bit better now. But I suppose there was that initial like awkwardness of, you know, maybe I want to keep that boy at arm's length, you know, like I'll, I'll always be nice to him, but. Maybe so it's maybe not a good idea to, you know, I, for example, like I remember in the beginning, you know, age 13, 14, like, like my friend wouldn't invite me to a party because he's got a few steps in his house, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't, didn't want to, didn't want to exclude me, but he, he didn't want me to, to know. And then, you know, I would obviously find, find out about the party anyway. Yeah. I'd hear people talking about it. And I always thought like it was because they didn't like me or they didn't want me there. Yeah. But a lot of the time it was just kind of that awkwardness and I think you know in Ireland we kind of uh, there's still a lot of that old-fashioned attitude around disability like like so many people like when I'm on the bus or the dart a lot of older people in particular would say god bless you and stuff like this and you know that can be really hurtful sometimes like and they obviously mean it in a good way but it's like and then you know when I'd be playing table tennis you know people would say isn't he great and you know I never really wanted that I I wanted to be looked at as an athlete, like like the like the guys and my friends that play rugby, because like in my head, I, there wasn't any difference. You know, I was training just as much as they were. I was just as committed as they were. I didn't yeah. like the whole feel sorry for me sort of thing. And there is a lot of that around disability. And I think it's it's maybe a thing in school, certainly in Michael's anyway. When when I was the only kid with a disability, there maybe could have been more education around disability and people being different it doesn't have to be someone with a disability either yeah so like even you know we were in crete for a month and i had my son and there was a boy there and he only had his right arm he didn't have a left arm but he had t t two legs and 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 but just one missing arm and he was in the sea and my son is four and he kept staring at him and, <laughs> but the kid was in the sea with like one of those noodles and i remember saying to my son afterwards like you know the boy and it's it's not like he with the that was in the water and you know he didn't have one of his arms but you were staring at him and he was like what are you talking about mommy and i was like he was like he he had his arms he just did he was in the water with it he didn't even notice yeah but we're so conscious as parents of our kids staring at other people that we almost make it worse so like what what would you tell me as a mom that has a kid or as a person like that some like just what do i say if my kid is staring at you but i don't want to make you uncomfortable yeah 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 that's a really interesting one you know uh, that's not something that ever bothered me e even in my younger my younger years like you know because obviously a lot of kids do come up to me and say you know mommy where's his arm yeah you know and uh I, it's ne i've never minded what what people have said to me it's sometimes it's it's what they didn't say to me yeah. you know it's like you're curious about something and you want to know something but you don't ask because you're afraid that you're going to offend me and you know maybe people with other disabilities or people different to me would think differently but that's always the way that I felt about it you know and it go, kind of goes back to that 
you know, being age 13 or 14. And, you know, my friends never, they never said anything to me. They never asked me, like, did I want to go to a party? Okay, there's going to be a few steps. You know, I wish they'd just come out with it. And even if that was hurtful to me, I'd rather that you say it rather than just do nothing and say nothing. And yeah. And exclude I, me, basically. Yeah. And, and I it, think this let's is... go back to the kids. The kids yeah. are so honest. That's why I love doing talks nearly more at the schools than at companies. Because, like, kids just come straight out with their questions. You're in a company... No, I've had a good audience. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not, I'm not... But in general, you know, a lot of people would like to ask questions, but they don't. Yeah. And that, that's... They, you know, the way it's really... I suppose kids are just so open and honest and... You know, it's yeah. that's what I really like. You know, they come straight out with their question, and and instead, you know, maybe when we get a little bit older and maybe more aware, we think that like, oh, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, and there probably are things that you shouldn't say and shouldn't do, but I think in general, a lot of the things that people are afraid to say, they're perfectly reasonable questions and perfectly reasonable things to say, and. So that's what I would say about that. I never, I never mind that. They're just curious, like they probably haven't seen someone <laughs> missing their arm before. And do you, know. you get stared at a lot? Yeah, like a if lot. you're yeah, out, yeah. even in yeah, especially by kids, probably more. But you know, I suppose uh, it's different in other countries, you know, because yeah. the older, even older people would stare at you. Like you know, I've been three times to China, and you know, everybody wants to take a picture of me, <laughs> and that would never happen in Ireland. Ireland, <laughs> Irish culture are like. Oh my God! Stop! Get him away from, you know. I don't. I don't want to hear him be asked a question by my son. You know, I'm so embarrassed. And you know, in other countries, I don't really think there that exists. I think people are more open and honest about disability. It's not so much a, a problem, you know. Yeah, maybe it's just a cultural thing. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, you know, and I, I suppose uh, I really struggle like with dating and stuff in Ireland. Uh, you know, when I was when I was 18, 19, like going into university, I found it quite difficult, like, and, you know, it was only really that I, I went away. Obviously, you know, traveling gives you a different perspective on things, but it was, it was there, I kind of really got confidence and, you know, girls from, from other countries, they, I was, they felt that they were easier to talk to. Maybe that was because they didn't understand everything I said, <laughs> but, but they couldn't see through, see through me as, uh, as easily as Irish girls could. I don't know. But, uh, I always just felt more confident around them. I don't know why. I felt that they didn't see the disability as much as maybe in Ireland, you know. And that's not just girls. That's just the whole population in general. And uh, I think it's it's something in Ireland that I think can be improved, you know, the education around disability and just making it more normal. Someone with a disability, you know, someone with a disability at work. Yeah. You know? Because even today when you came in, I, I remember asking the studio, like, are you wheelchair accessible? And... There's so much, you know, that you just need to, th but I said, I still want him in. I've got to just fi find <laughs> yeah, a way. Yeah, find a way, of course, yeah. But you, so you were recently in Brazil. Yes. So like a trip like that, getting on an airplane, going to a new country, like for someone that has a wheelchair, um, you were on a horse. Yeah. You were on a horse. <laughs> oh, I know. That was my first time. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, yeah. My mum wasn't impressed with that. But <laughs> you know. But it's a, like, it's just, I just feel like 
it doesn't hold you back at no, all. No, I, I suppose like I have a lot of experience traveling, but there was a lot of challenges in Brazil, you know? Yeah. Like really, it's not accessible. Like Ireland can be much better with accessibility, but you know, Brazil is obviously a lot worse. Does it ever make you angry? Do you ever yeah, think like, does. why it's is this? Like, like why like, is there never a wheelchair toilet? Like, but even in cafes and bars here, like, I mean, there's just so many, especially in town around here, like around this area, like the around quite a wealthy area. You'd think that there's no excuse, you know? Yeah. Is it not man? Like, it's like this is my in ignorance, all, but, but is it, it not mandatory to in have In all a- listed buildings, it's not. <laughs> and, in, you know, in the city, most buildings are old and listed. Yeah. So they don't need to have a wheelchair facilities, which, like, it's crazy. But, you know, I, you know, I've been in Spain, for example. Like, and Spain is a country that I love. It's really good on accessibility. And, you know, it's obviously, it doesn't, we don't have, they don't have the money probably in infrastructure that, that we have. But they always find a way. Like, it's like what you said. There might not be a perfect wheelchair toilet, but they'll have their wooden ramp ready. You know, they'll be ready to lift the chair if they absolutely have to, which, you know, not everyone in a wheelchair wants to be lifted. But, like, in Ireland, it's just, there's there's no wheelchair toilet, sorry. Yeah. Even if there's two steps, there's no way. It's not possible. Yeah. You know? it's We can't do that. And then you know? it's challenging for you to have a normal so- social it's life. It's really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you're you're out drinking and, you, you know, you need to go to the toilet. This is what people don't think about. And then they wonder why they don't see anybody in a wheelchair out in town. Yeah, it's not that <laughs> they don't like to have a drink. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're Irish, you know. <laughs> yeah. So what was what was it like? Like, what is the type of planning that you need to do to travel to a place like... You went with your girlfriend, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And that obviously made a big, big difference because I don't speak the language, even though I'm trying to learn Portuguese. It's a pretty hard language. And was it the first time you met her family? Uh, yeah, yeah. And what yeah. was that like? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, really, really nice. I'd obviously heard so much about them. Uh you know, they don't really speak uh, very much English and I don't speak very much Portuguese, but I was good at Spanish in school. Um, haven't practiced in 10 years, really. But, uh, you know, I was able to, I suppose, communicate my message through Google Translate. There's sign language, actually. You know, when, when you've nothing else, that kind of goes quite far. Wow. Uh, so I was able to express myself. Um, but, yeah, it was difficult at times, you know. I, I really have to up my game on the Portuguese because it's just so little English. Like, even in, in Rio, which... You know, you kind of expect there to be a bit of English there. Like, it's a very well-known city, obviously. An amazing city, by the way. I absolutely loved it. But, jeez, not not one word of English. Like, really, really hard. You know, especially when you've got a disability. I'm lucky, obviously. I was with Ariana, and she was able to communicate for me when I needed to. Um, but I, pro- I wouldn't have been able to do the trip probably on my own. You know, it was, it was just... Yeah, these are just things difficult. that we just... Like, the footpaths. That we like take for granted. I didn't bring my electric bike there because uh, it just I was too much too worried about it like I didn't think there was four flights you know and I just it wasn't suitable to bring four it four flights yeah yeah really really <laughs> Ariana lives in the end of the earth <laughs> so uh, it was but a you were fi- happy to go there for bu- her five hour bus journey after the four oh flights uh, but we planned it out really well we uh, we stopped in Rio for a few nights on the way over and on the way back mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did a lot of tourists there. We um, saw Christ the Redeemer, which was unbelievable. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, and a lot of other different uh, sites. Like, there's so many nice views in Rio. Yeah. Food is so good. The people are so friendly. Even though I couldn't communicate very well with them, they're, you know, they are like Irish in a way. Like, they're really, really open and friendly and just nice to be around. And they've got a great culture, Brazil. Yeah. Really, really just 
kind of felt at home. Obviously, it's really different to Ireland, but felt at home there in a way, you know. Mm. Uh, it was really, really nice. And yeah, then we went on kind of towards the Amazon, like it was the north of Brazil. So really, really, Brazil's such a big country. Um, yeah, it's mad. Like, having But a lot of these things, like, you know, if it was somebody else, they potentially, they would just be like, yeah, it's they too may much, not, like, yeah. It, they may not go. They, they, their disability might just hold, hold them, them back. back. Yeah, yeah. What made you? I know you said like in you know you felt quite you were you weren't bullied in St Michael's no. and you you just maybe would have felt, you would have felt excluded, which is also no, very yeah. hard for yeah. a teenager. But like, if anybody had a right to be angry, it would have been you. Yeah, well, I, that's the way I felt at the time, anyway. You know and. You know, I'd see all this kind of slagging and it's not even really bullying as like in a really bad way. Obviously, there was a bit of that as well, but not so much. I was really lucky with my year. I was, I was in with an amazing group. But, you know, you kind of nearly like I never slagged them because they never slagged me. And I just did, I, I didn't really feel very involved yeah. you know, for the first few years. But how did you how did you flip your mindset from like being like, God, why did you, why do I have to be the only person, like the only person in Ireland for this to happen to, to, you know, having this disability to like, that's it. I'm going to be, you know, like, cause you're clearly very competitive. And yeah. you also said something about, I saw on your socials about someone telling you your, your school counselor, maybe, maybe yeah. you can't do a certain yeah, yeah, something yeah. and you're leaving certain. Maybe he thought that it was beyond me. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it, like, I suppose I just thought back to the time that the doctors told me, my my uh, my mom, you know, that I need full-time care my entire life, which they're very, very far off with that. Like, even by the age of eight, I was doing a lot of things that, you know, boys of eight, some of them maybe nowadays can't even do themselves. But do you think that someone, depending on their mindset, their personality, the way their parents are, might need full-time care because they might baby... Yes. Them because yeah, like, so you like so, some moms might just be like this is you know they just want to wrap we want to protect our at the kids end of the day, isn't yeah it? you know like and you know I've obviously been lucky enough to travel all around the world and I've seen obviously people with lots of different types of disabilities and from lots of different cultures and it is education I would say at the end of the day like a lot of people in wheelchairs they think that they can't do something only because that's the only thing that they know. Yeah. They think that I shouldn't do that or I, I can't do that. Yeah. Whereas if they'd grown up dressing themselves, they'd be perfectly well able to dress themselves. But instead it's, no, I, I can't do that. You know, and y you get to a point, you know, you could be 20 and you still think that. You know, it's very hard to change that belief. Like, Yeah. What turned you around? Like what was... What was the moment where you just like, that's it, like this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let it stop me anymore, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it was. But that I found the sport, like, because it gave me confidence in myself. And, you know, I think after a few years, maybe it was in transition year then that I really, you know, I started to come out of my shell and, you know, I'd say to the lads straight out at that stage, because I had a bit of confidence, you know, I'd started to win a few matches in, in Ireland and you know even though I wasn't a good player at all internationally I kind of fancied myself as a good one because I, <laughs> I was number one in Ireland yeah. uh, I quickly learned that I wasn't when I when I went to my first international competition uh, but I suppose I kind of got confidence that way 
and uh, that kind of translated into my social life and my academic life and I think a lot of the sort of the German players who were much better than me at the time and probably <laughs> still today I hope I can uh, put that straight in a few weeks um, they give, gave me confidence you know because they they had disabilities kind of similar to myself or whatever and you know they were competing at a really high level and they were really confident I just felt you know I want that for myself and I saw no reason why I couldn't have it and you know, then I'd come back from these tournaments and I'd kind of have this new energy. And, you know, if I wasn't invited to a party, you know, I, I wouldn't be afraid to say why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I quickly found out the reasons why I wasn't. Or a lot of the time, it was just that, oh, there's steps, you know. And I was like, well, you know, we can, or maybe we not. can lift we'll, up the steps. Or, 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 or maybe bathrooms, like yeah, they, bathrooms in, a, in a house. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they probably wouldn't have known my, my toileting situation at that time. Maybe they, they thought that I would, I needed help or yeah. that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to go myself or, you know, they wouldn't have known any of that. But, you know, but, but, I, but again, it goes back to being afraid to ask because you don't want to insult yeah, yeah. somebody. And I, and I suppose then from my point of view, it's not easy for a 13 year old boy to have the confidence to say, hang on I'll be a grand. Yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. You know, you know, why, why am I being excluded? You know, you're not, you don't think like that as a 13 year old boy. You probably just kind of go to your room and cry like her. You know, the way, and uh, that's kind of what I did. I wouldn't have had the confidence or even the smartness to, to do that a, at the time, you know. Was there a lot of tears in your teenage years? Uh, you know, a lot of pe- probably, people probably think that it was worse than it, it actually was. It was just kind of a little bit of an exclusion. And luckily, I found table dance quite early in my teenage years. And, you know, uh, for, I suppose, 13, 14, 15, I was very much committed to table dance and I wouldn't have really had a social life. And... Uh, it was kind of only when the junior cert came around then that I started taking the academics seriously, which, you know, my mum was always very big into into the books. Um, so, you know, she was delighted that I was doing well table tennis, but she wanted me to. <laughs> she saw no reason, yeah, since I could play table tennis so well, like why I couldn't, uh, you know, match the boys in the classroom or whatever. And, you know, I did that like and, you know, once you I applied actuary, myself and you? yeah, I, I got into actuary and, you know, at the time it was. It was one of the highest points courses in the country. It was next to medicine. Um, so like when I was in fourth year, like just after junior cert, put in an all right junior cert, like nothing to write home about. But, uh, you know, I remember saying this to my guidance counselor and, you know, he, he was looking at me like I had three heads, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, you know, he didn't think it was possible. Like, and, uh, you know, I, I proved him wrong. I, I went on to study actually, which is exactly what I said that I would do. And, you know, I graduated four years later and I worked in actuary for two and a half years as well and did the exam. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's kind of that same old story. Like I've had went through my whole life. I've had, you know, people say that I can't do this, shouldn't do that. And, you know, if I'd listened to them, I wouldn't have been able to do very much at all. (laughs) If you, like some of my guests, have your own product or are manifesting launching your own product, how do you visualize yourself running your business? I hope your vision doesn't involve frantically stuffing and shipping boxes from your house or garage when a top fulfillment center like Autofulfill could be handling this for you. This means that you're doing so well that someone else is taking care of your orders while you sip your coffee and plan your next growth goal. If you're looking to grow and scale your online orders, think Autofulfill, our podcast sponsor. You chill, they fulfill. Hey, let me give you a quick manifestation tip. It's called subscribe, like, and share, share, share this episode. And I know what you're going to say. 
Yvonne, how is that a manifestation tip? So here's a little secret. The more you support others, the more the universe will support you. So when you share this episode, say to yourself, I am a super manifester. And remember, keep sharing. Happy manifesting. Yeah, well, if you listen, if your parents had listened to the doctors from yeah, the get-go, you would think you, you would need to mollycoddle me a bit, like um, yeah, they could have felt sorry for me. It would have been very easy to do that. Yeah, but it's like just this is kind of probably a personal question, but you've opened the door and said people should ask. So I'm going to ask: <laughs> Could you get, if you wanted to, like a prosthetic arm on your? Yeah, right, so right I side? had a prosthetic arm. Yeah. at this stage, yeah, I, I would have had it from I was four until I was maybe. 22 yeah and you just decided that you're not you don't yeah i felt that it just didn't do me much good really yeah it was uncomfortable and i did wasn't self-conscious in my arm it didn't help my my table tennis and i saw no point and what about prosthetic legs yeah so i I have prosthetic legs obviously Uh, and just sometimes you wear them and sometimes you don't exactly yeah i mean they give me balance and share like okay from a table tennis point of view i've got a little bit of weight obviously not as much weight as uh someone with legs but they do help me to stay in the chair they're kind of it's, they're funny i say that they're like they're more comfortable for like a short period of time uh, but then after a long period of time it kind of gets quite hot and okay. i don't like them you know so i'm kind of if i was sitting here for an hour i'd like to have my legs yeah if i was sitting on a plane for 10 hours i'd rather not have my legs that's so kind of a funny one so they are more comfortable in a way yeah. But it's just sitting in them for a long time can be quite uncomfortable. And, you know, I've I got the same problems with my arm and my legs. Like I get rashes and stuff from the heat. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, like in Brazil, it's, it, it was obviously the problem was multiplied by about, you know, it's not so hot here. The weather really hasn't been good since I come home in Ireland. Uh, but, you know, in a lot of ways, that climate sort of suits me a lot better. Yeah. You know, and been in the wheelchair or whatever, so. Yeah, and what was COVID like for you? COVID was a funny one because I'd kind of, I'd just given up my job because I kind of had my sights set on Tokyo at so that stage. So you were working in KPMG, right? Yeah, as an actuary. Yeah. And uh, I was just after my reclassification. Yeah, tell I sort me, of, yeah, that reclassification's really, is quite, well, it's quite a really, interesting. Well, really, uh, tough one, yeah. So I suppose to, to explain a little bit about uh, classification and the Paralympics. Uh, Paralympics is classified on the severity of your disability. So the wheelchair table tennis uh, classes go from one to five, uh, one being the most physically disabled and five being the least physically disabled in the wheelchair. And I was classified into class two at the age of 12, I think it was. Uh, Presumed there was something that was never gonna change. I was born with my disability at the end of the day and um, I felt that it shouldn't change and wouldn't change and um, so I won the European Championships uh, in 2017 which I was the first uh, Irish athlete ever to do that wow Um, and it was such a such a weird one at the time like I uh, it started to win against some of the top players in the world but I think I was I was ranked number 19 going into the tournament so like a big big outsider and an Irish tail dance player so you know I kind of wouldn't have said that I fancied my chances too much going in and sure enough I lost to one of the lowest ranked players in the tournament my first match and you know I was absolutely devastated by this because you know back then whatever about beating people ahead of me you know I couldn't think of anything worse to losing to someone who I felt was beneath me and that was a really negative attitude that I had 
and kind of something that led me to be quite protective of what I had. And, you know, I'd be afraid to, to try out a new serve or to try out a new technique on the table because I didn't want to risk, you know, because it's like anything in life. It's something new, something different. You know, you're not going to be fantastic at it immediately. And, you know, sometimes we need to take a, a step or two backwards in order to progress and to move forward. And that's something that I realized with my reclassification. And it's probably a reason why I'm a much better player now than I was back then, even though I'm probably not competing at the same level and winning the same amount of medals as I was back then. The competition is not the same. Um, but, you know, my coach sat me down after the match and I was crying my eyes out and I was pretty angry as well. I'd I'd kind of sacrificed my whole summer. You know, I think the lads were in Magaluf or in EOS that, that summer. And, you know, I missed it. I went to a training camp in Slovakia and, you know, I trained every single day. And, you know, I, w I wouldn't have been out drinking. I wouldn't have been out with girls and stuff like a lot of my friends were at that stage. We were just out of school and I preferred really well. And I felt that I was playing well and I'd sacrificed a lot. And I just felt that it was over within 20 minutes, you know, and uh I was really, really upset and, uh, you know, he sat me down after the match and he says, like, I need to forget about all the expectation on me and be grateful for the opportunity to compete for my country when there's so many back home that would give anything and everything, everything to be competing. I was the only athlete competing at the European Championships. And, you know, that's kind of said a lot in itself. Like, and that's not something that I really felt that grateful for because, you know, I was Irish national champion at that stage and I wanted to be more than that. I wanted to be European champion. And um, it's funny, like, how our, how our perspectives change, you know? <laughs> like, I was just so happy to be able to play table tennis after a couple of years. And then, you know, that wasn't enough anymore. I wanted to win. And suddenly I wanted to be the best in Ireland and I wanted to be the best in Europe and I wanted to be the best in the world. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, you know, and a after that, I just went out there and sort of played how I practiced. It was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders and I went out there and I enjoyed to play. And I was actually able to focus on my strokes and my performance rather than the result. Because, you know, at this stage, I felt that the, the competition was over. You know, I had to beat the number four in the world 3-0 and another player who was around my level I had to win 3-0 like so I had to win basically with a perfect rec record without dropping a set or a game I had to win 3-0 3-0 so it was highly highly unlikely that I'd even get out of the group yeah. and that would if I got out of the group then I'd be into the last 16 and after that I did win those two matches 3-0 3-0 and not only that I won the last 16 the quarterfinal the semi-final and the final <laughs> so it was just like uh it's amazing like how sport can be so mental and how I can play so badly in my first match and then later that day play so brilliantly. And, you know, I didn't practice anymore. I didn't train any hard. That was only mental. It's totally it the, the mindset. Venue, yeah. With the same racket, with the same coach. Yeah. It's funny. Do you have uh, like a coach that, that gives you these kind of pep talks? Like what is what does your team look like or... Can you talk to me about the team that you have? What do you do for your mindset and how the government, if they do or don't, how you're supported? Yeah, so I, I'm lucky at the moment. I actually have two coaches. Uh, so I work a lot with the national coach, Sam Logue, and then my sort of personal coach as well. And uh, Gab McGuire is his name. And uh, he would have been my coach back at the European Championships. So he had... He just took over in June uh, 2017, which is just before September 2017, which is when I won the European Championships. 
And that summer, I had won my first two competitions. I'd won in Spain and Germany, I think it was. And so even though I won those two tournaments, I knew European Championships was going to be a big step up. Um, but, I, you know, it was great. Like, I suppose back in 2017, it was the first time that I... Gav was... Uh, he was number one in Ireland in able-bodied table tennis. Uh, and he trained professionally in Germany for three or four years. And, you know, it was the first time that... I started to train somewhat professionally or, you know, I thought before Gav came along that I trained professionally, but then I quickly realized that I didn't, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he taught me a lot about, you know, preparing properly, uh, whether that be like in the moments before the match, like he told me that I had to have a routine and, you know, I had to practice in a sort of a more professional way not just kind of go out there with no goals or whatever. And, you know, you can be, you can spend four to six hours in the hall and not really improve very much. You know, it's really quality over quantity. And, you know, I think it also just, I felt that Gav believed in me, you know, uh, and I think I didn't really have that uh, before. And I think uh, that's why, that's what changed so quickly in such a short period of time, if three or four months, I'd missed qualification for the Rio Paralympic Games in 20, 2016 and you know I was really really disappointed and angry about that I'd I felt that I deserved to be there I'd beaten a lot of the best players in the world at that stage and you know I missed out on qualification for Rio and then Gav came along and I won the European Championships and uh, Gav still works with me he's not the national coach anymore Sam Logue is the coach now so he took over uh, about a year and a half together and we've worked when we're lucky uh sam has uh added extra hours this year so we've worked a huge amount together probably more than gav and i would have worked to- together back then uh so it is good to see like that there's a little bit more funding in, in table tennis. and that's a national coach sorry con that's yeah, that's funded by but by the sporting body yes yeah. so sport sp- ireland uh and table tennis ireland so you get that from the, because like it must have been, what did your parents think or you think when you made the decision that like, I'm going to give up a really good job yeah. with a really good, you know, company, uh, yeah, company yeah, yeah. really it, good company, uh, because now I want to fulfill my dream of, you know, of being uh, an athlete and like really focus on it. What yeah, was, what I, was... obviously I think most parents wouldn't be too, <laughs> too impressed, <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, you know, I think they've, realize over time that you know I, w- I would never have qualified for Tokyo for example yeah. had I not committed because I qualified by the skin of my teeth you know as you know I I qualified very very late in the day and uh, COVID obviously made things extremely difficult uh, I wouldn't have been able to practice at all had I not left Ireland so I went to live in Slovakia during COVID was that intentional yes because uh, at this stage I'd been reclassified and you know I uh, in my opinion back then I I wouldn't have been able to compete in the new class had I had I just I think when I was working as an actuary in KPMG I was going through the motions from a t- like from a table dance point of view I was just so tired after work like and I was probably maintaining my level but I certainly wasn't improving and you know I needed to improve a lot if I was to compete in my new class and I realized that pretty quickly and uh, then COVID struck and suddenly I had no no support and no job <laughs> Uh, because the restrictions here, obviously, in the beginning were extremely strict, much stricter than in Europe. I mean, we weren't allowed to play indoor sport at all. Yeah. There was no, uh, no, nothing put in place for me to continue training. So I realized I need to get out of here. So I have a very good friend. Very challenging 
Yeah, really, really tough. Like now, I obviously I traveled a lot at that stage, but I just had to move to Slovakia, and that's what I did. And uh, I was lucky. Uh, one of my best friends lives there, and you know he took me in. And you know he was in a similar situation. He was a wheelchair table tennis player like myself, a very good one. And he didn't have that many players to train with either. A good more than point. anything, yeah. Like uh, I'm sort of pretty much in a qualification position for Paris at the moment, but I'm sort of on the cusp which is not really where I want to be. That's where I was for Tokyo. So I'm kind of in the last position, if you know what I mean, which it's not a very good place to be, not a very safe place to be. So I want to move up my goals to be in the moving up into the top 10. And my goal would be to win a medal at the European Championships, really, because, you know, I think that I'm good enough. I've beaten players that are at the top in Europe. And, uh, and sometimes you think it's just it's not just your ability to to beat them like like beat them it's actually me- mentally Mental, like you yeah. said you before. gotta believe it like and what i didn't you... believe it for a long time especially in the new class yeah. kind of when you go from being a big fish in a small pond and then suddenly you're a small fish in a big pond and that was a really difficult adjustment for me i had to just accept losing to you know number 47 in the world like you know and i uh that's harder I, well, than that, people yeah when i was number four in the world in my old class that's a very hard thing to do to suddenly just be like well I, I probably wasn't an average joe but that's the way i saw myself in the new class like i felt that i was just like like any other player now i really i kind of nearly felt that i had to start again which that wasn't true obviously i'd been playing for years and years but i just I suppose i had to think of things differently and i had to become a better player and i had to find ways you know how to use my ability and you know not focus on my disability because obviously i felt very hard done by uh you know being reclassified i felt that it was extremely unfair and um it kind of took me time to accept it and then when i accepted it i had to find a way like how am i gonna get around this issue of not being able to move the wheelchair for example and i had this sort of game and technique that worked in class two but it didn't really work (laughs) certainly not against the best players in class three so i kind of had to reinvent myself and you know that's really really difficult thing to do and I, i suppose i had to take a few steps back in order to progress and that was even harder to do (laughs) you know so I wasn't only losing my rank but I was kind of losing to players that I felt that I could beat with my current level if you know what I mean I felt that I could go through the motions against a lot of these players but I had to risk losing and I did lose a lot of matches because I just had to try and find a way to be better and do more things add a few more things to my arsenal or whatever I had to be able to do more and that was really really difficult did you ever just once you were reclassified think forget this yeah, i give up i'm just much, gonna go uh, back to my actuarial job and actually yeah. earn money and live my life yeah and i suppose that's that's what made it so difficult is that i had other other options um table tennis was obviously where my heart was back then and still is um but i did yeah like you said i had a very good job a high-paid job and, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say I was good at it, but, you know, I felt that I would have maybe been a good actuary or I would have been a good data analyst. Uh, maybe I can be in the future. But, yeah, like I had options back then. And, you know, I felt like if, if I, I obviously lost a lot of my funding, I didn't lose all of it. Um, but, you know, that was really, really hard to take. Like it wasn't my fault that I lost the funding. Like my ranking changed like that. You know, and it, it wasn't because I even lost matches. It was just because I was reclassified. And, you know, I was reclassified after winning the European Championships. Yeah. Not before then. Yeah. 
and it was kind of like they they were classifying me on my ability more than my disability which classification is supposed to be on your disability and you know I don't I don't want to uh, talk <laughs> and complain too much about my I'm, I'm over it now and you know there has been a lot of good things have come out of it but you know I still it's don't feel that it's fair time. yeah um like to cut a long story short it, I don't feel it's fair today and I certainly didn't think it back then and uh, it, it is a big problem with with Paralympics classification it's uh, dis- disability is it's a very difficult thing to quantify obviously uh, and there's not a certainly not a perfect system in place like a lot of the time the the number one in the world or the, the best athletes are the physically strongest athletes the least disabled or whatever way you want to put it and I think, you know, when I was reclassified, I just decided that, you know, I was going to become the best version of myself. It, it didn't matter how I was measured anymore. And that's that's what my goal is now. You know, it's it's not even to win a medal in Paris. It's to become the best version of myself and compete at the Paralympics. And, you know, I think if I do that, I can win a medal. But, you know, winning seven out of seven matches at the European Championships is not my goal performing the way that I know that I can is my goal because you can't control the result and you can't control the conditions and you can't control what the classifiers are going to do if I win the European Championships, you know? Maybe they'll put me in class four. <laughs> so, um, you know, because that's what happened. Um, so, yeah, uh, in a lot of ways, there has been positives that have come out of my classification. My mindset has changed and I've enjoyed to play a lot more than I, I did back then, you know? I it's more challenging now. I'm, you know, I know that I have to become better. It's not a case of just maintaining what I have and, you know, knowing that if I go through the motions, I can probably win gold, silver, or bronze here. And um, it's very easy to stay in comfort zone. Yeah, it is. It, that's what it was, though. Is what a comfort. Like obviously, I, I wasn't too long in class two at the top, but uh, it was a comfort zone. I just felt that I was better than everybody. But we like comfort zones. Yeah, we do. We, we do. do. It's, but it's, it's lovely, good isn't to, it? It's Winning good all to push time. yourself. It is, it is. And, uh, you know, I think it, maybe if I'd continued that attitude, and, you know, I'm sure that there would have been a lot of class twos that would have caught up with me very quickly. Because I think if there's anything that I've learned from, you know, competing at a high level is that it's not good enough to just stay still and do nothing. You constantly need to be able to adapt and evolve because the level is just too high now in anything. It doesn't matter what if it's sport or if it's work like the level is just so high nowadays in everything and if you set your goals high enough like the competition is going to be really high <laughs> and if you're not working hard you're going to be found out for that very very quickly you know yeah and uh, that's I suppose the position I'm in now and Colin as we finish things up so you're so inspirational honestly <laughs> thank you Paul. um just, just two things before we finish up. Does it ever piss you off when people are complaining about mundane shit and you're just like, ah, oh, would you give up, get over your... Or do you just not think about I, it? I, I'd kind of, I do think about it. I probably don't say it that much, but I, I certainly think it. Yeah, yeah. I think like a lot of, uh, a lot of the time, like the things that people complain about or the, you know, I see people, I'm not going to go into examples, yeah. but <laughs> that have set goals for themselves and, you know, they really, really quickly give up on that, you know, just when they stop to see progress, you know, and that's an easy thing to do, obviously. I, I've been there myself, like, and I suppose in the beginning, like, you just kind of, st- you start to see a lot of progress very quickly, like, 
But then when you get to a certain level, you kind of hit a plateau, don't you? And suddenly it's really, really hard to improve 1%. That's the stage that I'm at at the moment. And that can be very frustrating that you're putting in all this effort and you feel like you're getting 0.02% better. Um, but I think, you know, I'd urge a lot of these people like to trust or struggle a little bit because I'm a big believer that there's fate in life and that all of us someday get an opportunity. We just need to be ready for it. And, you know, that's... I hope I'm ready for my opportunity when it comes along again because, you know, I haven't won big since the European Championships in 2017. That's six years ago, by the way. <laughs> it's a long time. Um, but I'm hoping, you know, that if I keep going the way I'm going, I might get that opportunity again because I never saw that opportunity coming. <laughs> if you tell me that I was going to win the European Championships before or after I lost that first match in the group, like I would have told that you told you that you <laughs> were clueless. Well, what if your mom told the doctor that day, this guy's going to win the European Championship? Yeah, exactly. Or even that I'd be playing table tennis. Or even that you'd be playing. Yeah. What, what would you say to, firstly, a parent that is going through, has a, a teenager that has a disability, what would you say to that parent? I tell them to get involved. That, tell them to get their kids involved. I think is the first thing. That was the first thing for me. It was like, I didn't want to go to summer camps at all in the, in the beginning because I just wasn't interested in sport. And then, you know, when I went to the first camp, maybe I didn't enjoy it that much, the second one, but I think it's that exposure. That's another thing, I suppose, that my parents did give me was like, you know, they treated me like a, like a normal kid. Like I got the exposure. I was at an able-bodied uh, school and okay, I couldn't relate probably a lot uh, to a lot of my friends that were playing rugby you know, I still, I saw that they were playing a sport and, you know, I, I knew that that's what I wanted and, okay, it was going to have to be a bit different to, you know, to them playing rugby. But, it, you know, I, I think uh, the best advice that I could give, like, younger people or people with a disability is, like, not to be afraid to fail in the beginning because that's what held me back so much uh, at the start. And, you know, I know my mum my and dad kind of uh, made me exercise that muscle of, trying and failing something in my early days but you know I still when I was a teenager and I had people watching me and I was self-conscious I, I didn't like failing at anything you know I didn't like uh, you know trying to play snooker when you know everyone was already better than me you know and it was like table tennis in the beginning a lot of my peers passed me out very quickly you know they, did, they didn't work as hard as I did you know they didn't train as much as I did they didn't care about it the way I did and it just took me a long long time for me to eventually pass them out yeah, because and, you didn't uh, give up. Yeah, I, I didn't give up and I wasn't afraid to fail. And I think that if I was afraid to fail, well, <laughs> I don't think I would have studied that hard because I, I did fail a lot of that in the beginning. I certainly wouldn't have been a table tennis player. I wouldn't have uh, started talking to girls because there was a lot of fails <laughs> with that <laughs> in the beginning as well. But like, of course, there's going to be like it's like anything, you know, you can't expect to be brilliant at something immediately. You've got to work hard. You've got to fail because like, that's the only way that you learn. Yeah, but we are so afraid of failure. Failure, yeah, and or what what other people think as well. Like I was so uh, whatever about failing myself. It was about other people seeing me fail. Yeah, that's what I was just I hated. Like you know. Yeah, how'd you get over that? <laughs> I realized that it was the only way because I just I didn't feel I was talented. I don't really believe in talent anyway. Uh, but I wasn't natural, shall we say. I wasn't, you know, table tennis, even though it was a suitable sport for me, it didn't come naturally to me. I wasn't a natural player. I had to work really hard. Um, and I had to use my head a lot more maybe than others that they could depend on their physical. 
Um, but I quickly realized like it was the only way, like I was, I was failing at everything, like, and I was failing fast, but I was learning fast as well, you know, and maybe, uh, it's kind of like been then when I was in class two and I suppose I was one of the best players, if not the best player in the world, I wasn't really learning that much anymore, you know, because I was winning and you don't really tend to second guess yourself too much when you're winning all the time you don't learn that much when no. you win do you you get comfortable you don't maybe don't train as hard you kind of maybe go down another avenue you think that you can like like the way i did you think that you can manage a full-time job and practice and do talks and do everything and it's not and, all, and still any be job able, yeah. it's a big job you know like <laughs> they're it's all big the, jobs yeah, and if you want to be good at anything it doesn't matter what it is yeah you've got to commit yeah and if you don't People are going to catch you. Oh, yeah. So how how can we support you in your on your journey to Paris? Well, everyone, you've you've already supported me massively in in, in the past, and I really really appreciate that. Um, but look, I suppose next year it's uncertain. Uh, but I really want to leave no stone unturned, and I want to go to every camp that I can and every tournament that I can. Now, from from this point on, the ranking system is. It's quite positively weighted compared to before, which is a good thing. Uh, before it was quite negatively weighted, so I was like, I didn't want to compete too much because I'm afraid I'm gonna, I've got to be a bit cute here. I don't want to lose <laughs> ranking points. I don't <laughs> okay. want to play with players who are less than me that I have very little to gain. But okay. now, luckily, they've changed the system because it was a ridiculous system. You just had the best players not playing. <laughs> yeah. So it was crazy. Like you couldn't move up the rankings. But now. It's like if you compete, even if you lose, like the the win winning is more positively weighting than weighted than losing is negatively weighted. If you know what I mean. So I really need to play now. I need to play as much as possible, which is always what the way I wanted to do things. And I need to go to as many tournaments as possible. And that's obviously expensive. Uh, I'm unsure, very unsure about my funding next year. Uh, my ranking is 14 or 13 in the world, I think, at the moment. And like I'm well outside the criteria at the moment. Uh, I think that like they've been a bit more relaxed with the criteria during COVID, but I am kind of worried and unsure uh, about my funding next year. But at the moment, look, I've I have planned sort of the rest of my year, but it is difficult. Like uh, being a table tennis player in a minority sport, I'm very very lucky to have what I have. Um, but there's constant issues like that. I don't train enough with my coach even though he has gotten extra hours my competition train every day with a coach yeah. you know i train one or two days maybe you know i have to organize my own practice i have to organize my own venue i have to live like you say <laughs> in dublin which is not cheap <laughs> yeah um so you have a GoFundMe page, don't you? Or do I you? do. I ha actually had one in Tokyo. I, I, I'm uh, I'm looking at maybe setting up one. Uh, sort of. I've kind yes, of continued that, that one. Please do that. Please do that. I think when people hear your story and your journey and your passion, you're going to give so many people inspiration, a dose of perspective, a big dose of perspective. And Irish people are so supportive. Like they are. We want they to support you. When, yeah. Once they know about it. People will want to support you. Of course, and they have in the past. Yeah. Like, uh, people so have been so generous. Up, like, I would page. never, ever have achieved. And I can tell that's why I'm speaking about the two players on the development squad at the moment. Like, because, like I said, it's just so difficult. Without, I was so lucky with people being so generous. I couldn't have justified, and, you know, my parents couldn't have justified, and I just simply didn't have the money back then 
to be able to fund like training and tournaments and with no support yeah. it, it, like it's just impossible and you know I am very lucky to have uh, a, a some amount of support at the moment but like I know ultimately it's not enough really if, if I want to win a medal in Paris and that's why I want to leave no stone unturned now I want to play every event that I think is suitable for me I don't want to kind of be thinking because this could be my last chance who knows you know I'm not really thinking beyond Paris I hope that it's not my last chance but we can't really I can't really look beyond that I've had a lot of problems with injury as well actually it's something I didn't talk about today uh, but I'm okay for the, for the moment uh, but that's something that I'm worried about I only have one limb obviously uh, I have to, to I have to mind it yeah so for that for that reason and for a lot of other reasons I'm kind of haven't really planned too far beyond Paris but one thing for sure is I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I've always had like this thing in my mind, like maybe back when I was working in KPMG, I was like, what if I committed more? What if I trained more? What if I went to that tournament? Why did I miss those two tournaments? Why didn't I go to that training camp? And then I end up losing the world championships and the Paralympics by one point. <laughs> and the margins are just so, so small. And I know that now. I've always known that, but... You know, it's really been reinforced with previous competitions. And, you know, I just, I want to leave no stone unturned. I, I want to have no regrets, exactly. And that that's why I, I do what I do. And, you know, table tennis is, it obviously holds a very special place in, in my heart because I think you can see from my story how how important it has been to me. And, and it's been not just a sport. Uh, it's been more than that, yeah. So I just feel that I owe it to myself and to the sport and... I really just, I'd love to, you know, win the first medal for Ireland and just put table tennis on the map. I hope that I've done that to an extent already, but I want to do it more. I'd like to see the development players behind me. I'd like to see them, uh, you know, start competing as much as me and hopefully winning medals and maybe even qualifying for a game someday. And and then just see, you know, because table tennis uh, wasn't really a popular sport when I first started, but it's even less popular now. And I'd love to see more able-bodied kids involved in table tennis as well i'd love to grow to help grow the sport because it's an amazing sport it's just it's minority here obviously yeah. well, and you have uh, you have a pause penny manifestation box yes. you're you're, you're good you at math <laughs> you're good at math so you're 42 percent more likely to achieve your goals if you write it down so yeah. you're going to write it down you're going to see you in paris down. you're going to get the irish medal and even if you don't <laughs> which you will um you're an absolute inspiration to people and we are going to wish you the best on your journey to getting to Paris and we definitely want to support you so get that page up yes yeah thank and you. thank you so much for coming in oh thanks for having me Yvonne it's been a pleasure been oh, thank you great so talking much to you. and you too uh and and to your parents who just yes I have a lot to thank them for yeah yeah amazing so thank you thank you <laughs> hey let me give you a quick manifestation tip It's called subscribe, like, and share, share, share this episode. And I know what you're going to say, Yvonne, how is that a manifestation tip? So here's a little secret. The more you support others, the more the universe will support you. So when you share this episode, say to yourself, I am a super manifester. And remember, keep sharing. Happy manifesting.